A Gent from Bear Creek by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Gent from Bear Creek by Robert Howard. The folks on Bear Creek ain't what you'd call peaceable by nature, but I was kind of surprised to come on to Erath Elkins and his brother-in-law, Joel Gordon, locked in mortal combat on the bank of the creek. But there they was, so tangled up they couldn't use their buoys to no advantage, and their cussin' was scandalous to hear. Remonstrances being useless, I kicked their knives out of their hands and throwed em bodily into the creek. That broke their holds, and they come swarming out with bloodthirsty shrieks and drippin' whiskers and attacked me. Since they was too blind mad to have any sense, I bashed their heads together till they was too dizzy to do anything but holler. Is this any way for relatives to act? I asked disgustedly. Let me at him, howled Joel, gnashing his teeth whilst blood streamed down his whiskers. He's broke three of my fangs, and I'll have his life. Stand aside, Breckenridge, raved Erath. No man can chaw ear off a of me and live to tell the tale. Ah, shut up, I snorted. One more yap out of either'n ye, and I'll see if your fool heads are harder than this. I brandished a fist under their noses, and they quieted down. Now, what's all this about? I demanded. I just discovered my brother-in-law is a Thief, said Joel, bitterly. At that, Erath gave a howl and a violent plunge to get at his relative, but I kind of pushed him backwards, and he fell over a willer stump. The facts is, Breckenridge, said Joel, me and this polecat found a buckskin poke full of gold nuggets in a holler oak over on a patchy ridge yesterday. We didn't know whether somebody in these parts had just hid it there for safekeeping or whether some old prospector had left it there a long time ago, and maybe got sculped by the engines and never come back to get it. We agreed to leave it alone for a month, and if it was still there at that time, we'd feel pretty sure that the original owner was dead, and we'd split the gold between us. Well, last night I got to worrying somebody'd find it which wasn't as honest as me. So this morning... I thought I'd better go see if it was still there. At this point, Erath laughed bitterly. Joel glared at him ominously, and continued, Well, no sooner I hove in sight of the holler tree than this skunk let go at me from the brush with a rifle gun. That's a lie, yelped Erath. It were just the other way around. Not being armed, Breckenridge, Joel said with dignity, and realizing that this coyote was trying to murder me so he could claim all the gold, I legged it for home and my weapons, and presently I sighted him sprinting through the brush after me. Erath began to foam slightly at the mouth. I weren't chasing you, he said. I was going home after my rifle gun. What's your story, Erath? I inquired. Last night 
I dreamt somebody had stole the gold, he answered sullenly. This morning I went to see if it was safe. Just as I got to the tree, this murderer begun shooting at me with a Winchester. I run for my life, and by some chance I finally run right into him. Likely he thought he'd killed me and was coming for the skull. Did either one of you see Tothern shoot at you? I asked. How could I, with him hid in the brush? snapped Joel. But who else could it been? I didn't have to see him, growled Erath. I felt the wind of his slug. But each one of you says he didn't have no rifle, I said. He's a cussed liar, they accused simultaneous, and would have fell on each other tooth and nail if they could have got past my bolt. I'm convinced they's been a mistake, I said. Get home and cool off. You're too big for me to lick, Breckenridge, said Erath. But I warn you, if you can't prove to me it wasn't Joel which tried to murder me, I ain't gonna rest nor sleep nor eat till I've nailed his mangy sculpt to the highest pine on a patchy ridge. That goes for me, too, said Joel, grinding his teeth. I'm declaring truce till tomorrow morning. If Breckenridge can't show me by then that you didn't shoot at me, either my wife or yourn'll be a widder before midnight. So saying, they stalked off in opposite directions, whilst I stared helplessly after them, slightly dazed at the responsibility which had been dumped onto me. That's the drawback of being the biggest man in your settlement. All the relatives pile their troubles onto you. Here it was up to me to stop what looked like the beginnings of a regular family feud, which was bound to reduce the population awful. The more I thought of the gold them idiots had found, the more I felt like I ought to go and take a look to see was it the real stuff. So I went back to the corral and saddled Captain Kidd and lit out for Apache Ridge, which was about a mile away. From the remarks they let fall whilst cussing each other, I had a pretty good idea where the holler oak was at, and sure enough I found it without much trouble. I tied Captain Kidd and clumb up on the trunk till I reached the holler. Then, as I was craning my neck to look in, I heard a voice say, Another darn thief! I looked around and seen Uncle Jeffrey Grimes pointing a gun at me. Mare Creek is going to hell, said Uncle Jeffrey. First it was Erath and Joel, and now it's you. I'm going to throw a bullet through your hind leg just to teach you a little honesty. With that, he started sighting along the barrel of his Winchester, and I said, You better save your lead for that engine over there. Him being an old Indian fighter, he just naturally jerked his head around quick, and I pulled my forty-five and shot the rifle out of his hands. I jumped down and put my foot on it, and he pulled a knife out of his boot, and I'd taken it away from him and shaken him till he was so addled when I let him go, he run in a circle and fell down, cussing something terrible. Is everybody on Bear Creek gone crazy, I demanded. Can't a man look into a holler tree without getting assassinated? You was after my gold, swore Uncle Jeffrey. So it's your gold, eh? I said. 
while a holler tree ain't no bank. I know it, he growled, combing the pine needles out of his whiskers. When I come here early this morning to see if it was safe like I frequent does, I seen right off somebody'd been handling it. Whilst I was meditating over this, I seen Joel Gordon sneaking toward the tree. I fired a shot across his boughs in warning, and he run off. But a few minutes later, here comes Erath Elkins slithering through the pines. I was mad by this time, so I combed his whiskers with a chunk of lead, and he hightailed it. And now, by golly, here you come. I don't want your blame gold, I roared. I just wanted to see if it was safe. And so did Joel and Erath. If them men was thieves, they'd a took it when they found it yesterday. Where'd you get it, anyway? I've panned it up in the hills, he said sullenly. I ain't had time to take it to Chaudier and get it changed into cash money. I figured this here tree was as good a place as any, but I'd done put it elsewhere now. Well, I said, you gotta go tell Erath and Joel it was you shot at em, so they won't kill each other. They'll be mad at you, but I'll cool em off, maybe with a hickory club. All right, he said. I'm sorry I misjudged you, Breckenridge. Just to show you I trust you, I'll show you where I hid it. He led me through the trees till I came to a big rock jutting out from the side of a cliff and pointed to a smaller stone wedged beneath it. I pulled out that rock, he said, and dug a hole and stuck the poke in. Look. He heaved the rock out and bent down. Then he went straight up in the air with a yell that made me jump and pulled my gun with cold sweat, busting out all over me. What's the matter with you? I demanded. Are you snake bit? Yeah, by human snakes, he hollered. It's gone. I've been robbed. I looked and seen the impressions the wrinkles and the buckskin poke had made in the soft earth. But there wasn't nothing there now. Uncle Jeppard was doing a scalp dance with a gun in one hand and a bowie knife in the other. I'll fringe my leggings with their mangy sculps, he raved. I'll pickle their hearts on a barrel of brine. I'll feed their livers to my hound dogs. Whose livers? I inquired. Whose, you idiot? he howled. Joel Gordon and Erath Elkins, turn it. They didn't run off. They snuck back here and seen me move the gold. I've killed better men than them for half as much. Ah, I said, taint possible they stole your gold. Then where is it? he demanded bitterly. Who else knowed about it? Look here, I said, pointing to a belt of soft loam near the rocks. A horse's tracks. What of it? he demanded. Maybe they had horses tied in the brish. Ah, no, I said. Look how the Calkins is set. They ain't no horses on Bear Creek shod like that. These is the tracks of a stranger. I bet the feller I seen ride past my cabin just about daybreak. A black-whiskered man with one ear missing. That hard ground by the big rock don't show where he got off and stomped around. But the man which rode this horse stole your gold. I'll bet my guns. I ain't convinced, said Uncle Jeppard. I'm going home and I'll my rifle gun. Then I'm going to go over and kill Joel and Erath. Now you listen, I said forcibly. 
I know what a stubborn old jassic you are, Uncle Jeopard, but this time you got to listen to reason, or I'll forget myself and kick the seat out of your britches. I'm going to follow this feller and take your gold away from him, because I know it was him stole it. And don't you dare to kill nobody till I get back. I'll give you till tomorrow morning, he compromised. I won't pull a trigger till then. But, said Uncle Jeopard, waxing poetical, if my gold ain't in my hands, by the time the morning sun heists itself o'er the shining peaks of the jackass mountains, the buzzards'll rassle their hash on the carcasses of Joel Gordon and Erath Elkins. I went away from there, mounted Captain Kidd, and headed west on the trail of the stranger. It was still tolerably early in the morning, and one of them long summer days ahead of me. They wasn't a horse in the Humboldts equal to Captain Kidd for endurance. I've rode a hundred miles on him between sundown and sunup. But that horse the stranger was riding must have been some chunk of horse meat hisself. The day wore on, and still I hadn't come up with my man. I was getting into country I wasn't familiar with, but I didn't have much trouble in following the trail, and finally, late in the evening, I come out on a narrow, dusty path where the caulk marks of his hoofs was very plain. The sun sunk lower, and my hopes dwindled. Captain Kidd was beginning to tire, and even if I got the thief and got the gold, it'd be an awful push to get back to Bear Creek in time to prevent mayhem. But I urged on Captain Kidd, and presently we come out onto a road and the tracks I was following merged with a lot of others. I went on, expecting to come to some settlement and wondering just where I was. I'd never been that far in that direction before then. Just at sundown I rounded a bend in the road and seen something hanging to a tree, and it was a man. There was another man in the act of pinning something to the corpse's shirt, and when he heard me he wheeled and jerked his gun. The man, I mean, not the corpse. He was a mean-looking cuss, but he wasn't black whiskers. Seeing I made no hostile move, he put up his gun and grinned. That feller's still kicking, I said. We just strung him up, said the fella. The other boys has rode back to town, but I stayed to put this warning on his bosom. Can you read? No, I said. Well, he said, this here paper says, warning to all outlaws and specially them on Grizzly Mountain. Keep away from Wampum. How far is Wampum from here, I asked. Half a mile down the road, he said. I'm Al Jackson, one of Bill Orman's deputies. We aim to clean up Wampum. This is one of them derned outlaws which is denned up on Grizzly Mountain. Before I could say anything, I heard somebody breathing quick and gaspy, and there was a patter of bare feet in the brush and a kid girl about fourteen years old bust into the road. "'You've killed Uncle Joab!' she shrieked. "'You murderers! A boy told me they was fixin' to hang him. I run as fast as I could!' "'Get away from that corpse!' roared Jackson, hitting at her with his quirt. "'You stop that!' I ordered. "'Don't you hit that youngin!' "'Oh, please, mister!' she wept, wringing her hands. "'You ain't one of Orman's men!' Please help me. He ain't dead. I seen him move. Waiting for no more, I spurred alongside the body and drawed my knife. 
Don't you cut that rope, squawked the deputy, jerking his gun. So I hit him under the jaw and knocked him out of his saddle and into the brush beside the road where he lay groaning. I then cut the rope and eased the hanged man down onto my saddle and got the noose off his neck. He was purple in the face and his eyes was closed and his tongue lolled out, but he still had some life in him. Evidently they didn't drop him, but just hauled him up to strangle to death. I laid him on the ground and worked over him till some of his life begun to come back to him, but I knowed he ought to have medical attention. I said, where's the nearest doctor? Doc Richards in Wampum, whispered the kid. But if we take him there, Orman'll get him again. Won't you please take him home? Where you all live, I inquired. We've been living in a cabin on Grizzly Mountain since Orman run us out of Wampum, she whimpered. Well, I said, I'm going to put your uncle on Captain Kidd, and you can sit behind the saddle and help hold him on, and tell me which way to go. So I done so, and started off on foot, leading Captain Kidd in the direction the girls showed me. And as we went, I seen the deputy Jackson drag himself out of the brush and go limping down the road, holding his jaw. I was losing an awful lot of time, but I couldn't leave this feller to die, even if he was an outlaw because probably the little gal didn't have nobody to take care of her but him. Anyway, I'd never make it back to Bear Creek by daylight on Captain Kidd, even if I could have started right then. It was well after dark when we come out on a narrow trail that wound up a thickly timbered mountainside, and pretty soon somebody in a thicket ahead of us hollered, Halt where you be, or I'll shoot. Don't shoot, Jim, called the girl. This is Ellen, and we're bringing Uncle Joab home. A tall, hard-looking young feller stepped out in the open, still biting his Winchester at me. He cussed when he seen our load. He ain't dead, I said, but we ought to get him to his cabin. So Jim led me through the thickets until we come to a clearing where there was a cabin, and a woman come running out and screamed like a catamount when she seen Joab. Me and Jim lifted him off and carried him in and laid him on a bunk, and the women began to work over him, and I went out to my horse because I was in a hurry to get gone. Jim followed me. This is the kind of stuff we've been having ever since Orman come to Wampum, he said bitterly. We've been living up here like rats, afeard to stir in the open. I warned Joab against slipping down into the village today, but he was sought on it, and wouldn't let any of the boys go with him. Said he'd sneak in, get what he wanted, and sneak out again. Well, I said, What's your business is none of mine, but this here life is hard lines on women and children. You must be a friend of Joab's, he said. He sent a man east some days ago, but we was afraid one of Orman's men trailed him and killed him. But maybe he got through. Are you the man Joab sent for? Meaning, am I some gunman come in to clean up the town? I snorted. Nah, I ain't. I never seen this fellow Joab before. Well, said Jim. Cutting down Joab like you done has already got you in bad with Orman. Help us run them fellers out of the country. There's still a good many of us in these hills, even if we have been run out of wampum. This hanging is a last straw. I'll round up the boys tonight and we'll have a showdown with Orman's men. We're outnumbered and we've been licked bad once, but we'll try again. Won't you throw in with us? Listen, I said, climbing into the saddle. Just because I cut down an outlaw 
ain't no sign I'm ready to be one myself. I done it just because I couldn't stand to see the little girl take on so. Anyway, I'm looking for a feller with black whiskers and one ear missing, which rides a roan with a big Lazy A brand. Jim fell back from me and lifted his rifle. You better ride on, he said somberly. I'm obliged to you for what you did, but a friend of Wolf Ashley can't be no friend of iron. I gave him a snort of defiance and rode off down the mountain and headed for Wampum, because it was reasonable to suppose that maybe I'd find black whiskers there. Wampum wasn't much of a town, but they was one big saloon and gambling hall where sounds of hilarity was coming from, and not many people on the streets, and them which was, mostly went in a hurry. I stopped one of them and asked him where a doctor lived. He pointed out a house where he said Doc Richards lived. So I rode up to the door and knocked, and somebody inside said, What do you want? I got you covered. Are you Doc Richards, I said. He said, Yes. Keep your hands away from your belt, or I'll fix you. This is a nice, friendly town, I snorted. I ain't figuring on harming you. There's a man up in the hills which needs your attention. At that, the door opened, and a man with red whiskers and a shotgun stuck his head out and said, Who do you mean? They call him Joab, I said. He's on Grizzly Mountain. Hmm, said Doc Richards, looking at me very sharp, where I sought Captain Kidd in the starlight. I set a man's jaw tonight, and he had a lot to say about a certain party who cut down a man that was hanged. If you're that party, my advice to you is to hit the trail before Ormond catches you. I'm hungry and thirsty, and I'm looking for a man, I said. I aim to leave Wampum when I'm good and ready. I never argue with a man as big as you, said Doc Richards. I'll ride to Grizzly Mountain as quick as I can get my horse saddled. If I never see you alive again, which is very probable, I'll always remember you as the biggest man I ever saw and the biggest fool. Good night. I thought, the folks in Wampum is the queerest actin' I ever seen. I took my horse to the barn, which served as a livery stable, and seen that he was properly fixed. Then I went into the big saloon, which was called the Golden Eagle. I was low in my spirits, because I seemed to have lost Black Whiskers' trail entirely, and even if I found him in Wampum, which I hoped, I never could make it back to Bear Creek by sun-up, but I hoped to recover that dern gold yet and get back in time to save a few lives. There was a lot of tough-looking fellers in the Golden Eagle, drinking and gambling and talking loud and cussing, and they all stopped their noise as I come in and looked at me very fishy. But I give em no heed and went to the bar, and pretty soon they kind of forgot about me, and the racket started up again. Whilst I was drinking me a few fingers of whiskey, somebody shouldered up to me and said, Hey. I turned around and seen a big, broad-built man with a black beard and bloodshot eyes and a pot belly with two guns on. I said, Well, who are you? he demanded. Oh, who are you? I came back at him. I'm Bill Orman, Sheriff of Wampum, he said. That's who, and he showed me a star on his shirt. Oh, I said, well, I'm Breckenridge Elkins from Bear Creek. I noticed a kind of quiet come over the place, and fellows was laying down their glasses and their billiard sticks and hitching up their belts and kind of gathering around me. Orman scowled and combed his beard with his fingers and rocked on his heels and said, 
I got to rest you. I sought down my glass quick, and he jumped back and hollered, Don't you dast draw no gun on the law. And there was a kind of movement among the men around me. What you arresting me for, I demanded. I ain't busted no law. You assaulted one of my deputies, he said. And then I saw that feller Jackson standing behind the sheriff with his jaw all bandaged up. He couldn't work his chin to talk. All he could do was pint his finger at me and shake his fists. You likewise cut down a outlaw we had just hung, said Orman. You're under arrest. But I'm looking for a man, I protested. I ain't got time to be arrested. You should have thunk about that when you busted the law, opined Orman. Give me your gun and come along peaceable. A dozen men had their hands on their guns, but it wasn't that which made me give in. Pap had always taught me never to resist no officer of the law, so it was kind of instinctive for me to hand my gun over to Ormond and go along with him without no fight. I was kind of bewildered, and my thoughts was addled anyway. I ain't one of these fast-thinking sharps. Ormond escorted me down the street a ways with a whole bunch of men following us, and stopped at a log building with barred windows, which was next to a board shack. A man come out of this shack with a big bunch of keys, and Ormond said he was the jailer. So they put me in the log jail, and Ormond went off with everybody but the jailer, who sat down on the step outside the shack and rolled a cigarette. There wasn't no light in the jail, but I found the bunk and tried to lay down on it, but it wasn't built for a man six and a half feet tall. I sat down on it, and at last realized what a infernal mess I was in. Here I ought to be hunting black whiskers and getting the gold to take back to Bear Creek and save the lives of a lot of my kinfolks, but instead I was in jail, and no way of getting out without killing an officer of the law. With daybreak, Joel and Erath would be at each other's throats, and Uncle Jeffrey had begun for both of them. It was too much to hope that the other relatives would let them three fight it out amongst themselves. I'd never seen such a clan for buttoning in to each other's business. The guns would be talking all up and down Bear Creek, and the population would be decreasing with every volley. I thought about it till I got dizzy, and then the jailer stuck his head up to the window and said if I would give him five dollars, he'd go get me something to eat. I give it to him, and he went off and was gone quite a spell, and at last he come back and gave me a ham sandwich. I asked him was that all he could get for five dollars, and he said grub was awful high in wampum. I ate the sandwich in one bite because I hadn't et nothing since morning. Then he said if I'd give him some more money, he'd get me another sandwich, but I didn't have no more, and told him so. What? he said, breathing liquor fumes in my face through the window bars. No money? And you expect us to feed you for nothing? So he cussed me and went off. Pretty soon the sheriff come and looked in at me and said, What's this I hear about you not having no money? I ain't got none left, I said, and he cussed something fierce. How you expect to pay your fine? he demanded. You think you can lay up in our jail and eat us out of house and home? What kind of critter are you, anyway? Just then the jailer chipped in and said somebody told him I had a horse down at the livery stable. Good, said the sheriff. We'll sell the horse for his fine. No, you won't, neither, I said, beginning to get mad. You try to sell Captain Kidd, and I'll forget what Pap told me about officers and take you plumb apart. I riz up and glared at him through the window, and he fell back and put a hand on his gun. 
but just about that time I seen a man going into the Golden Eagle, which was an easy side of the jail, and lit up, so the light streamed out into the street. I give a yell that made Orman jump about a foot. It was black whiskers. Arrest that man, Sheriff, I hollered. He's a thief. Orman whirled and looked, and then said, Are you plumb crazy? That's Wolf Ashley, my deputy. I don't give a dern, I said. He stole a poke of gold from my Uncle Jeffrey up in the Humboldts, and I've trailed him clean from Bear Creek. Do your duty and arrest him. You shut up, roared Orman. You can't tell me my business. I ain't going to arrest my best gunman, my star deputy, I mean. What you mean trying to start trouble this way? One more yap out of you and I'll throw a chunk of lead through you. And he turned and stalked off, muttering, Poke of gold, huh? Holdin' out on me, is he? I'll see about that. I sought down and held my head in bewilderment. What kind of sheriff was this which wouldn't arrest a dern thief? My thoughts ran in circles till my wits was addled. The jailer had gone off, and I wondered if he went to sell Captain Kidd. I wondered what was going on back at Bear Creek, and I shivered to think what would bust loose at daybreak. And here I was in jail, with them fellers fixin' to sell my horse whilst the dern thief swaggered round at large. I looked helplessly out the window. It was getting late, but the Golden Eagle was still going full blast. I could hear the music blaring away, and the fellers yippin' and shootin' their pistols in the air, and their boot heels stompin' on the boardwalk. I felt like bustin' down and cryin', and then I begun to get mad. I get mad slowly, generally. And before I was plumb mad, I heard a noise at the window. I seen a pale face staring in at me and a couple of small white hands on the bars. Oh, mister, a voice whispered. Mister. I stepped over and looked out, and it was the kid girl, Ellen. What you doing here, gal? I asked. Doc Richards said you was in wampum, she whispered. He said he was afraid Ormond and his gang would go for you because you helped me, so I slipped away on his horse and rode here as hard as I could. Jim was out trying to gather up the boys for a last stand, and Aunt Rachel and the other women are busy with Uncle Joab. They wasn't nobody but me to come, but I had to. You saved Uncle Joab, and I don't care if Jim does say you're an outlaw because you're a friend of Wolf Ashley's. Oh, I wished I wasn't just a girl. I wished I could shoot a gun so's I could kill Bill Ormond. That's no way for a gal to talk, I said. Leave killin' to the men. But I appreciate you going to all this trouble. I got some kid sisters myself. In fact, I got seven or eight, as near as I can remember. Don't you worry none about me. Lots of men get throwed in jail. But that ain't it, she wept, wringing her hands. I listened outside the window of the back room in the Golden Eagle and heard Orman and Ashley talking about you. I don't know what you wanted with Ashley when you asked Jim about him, but he ain't your friend. Orman accused him of stealing a poke of gold and holding out on him, and Ashley said it's a lie. Then Orman said you told him about it, and that he'd give Ashley till midnight to produce that gold, and if he didn't, Wampum would be too small for both of them. Then he went out and I heard Ashley talking to a pal of his, and Ashley said he'd have to raise some gold somehow or Ormond would have him killed, but that he was going to fix you, mister, for lying about him. Mister, 
Ashley and his bunch are over in the back of the Golden Eagle right now, plotting to bust into the jail before daylight and hang you. Oh, I said, the sheriff wouldn't let him do that. You don't understand, she cried. Orman ain't the sheriff. Him and his gunmen come into Wampum and killed all the people that tried to oppose him or run him up in the hills. They got us pinned up there like rats, nigh starving and afeard to come to town. Uncle Joab come into Wampum this morning to get some salt, and you seen what they done to him. He's the real sheriff. Orman's just a bloody outlaw. Him and his gang is using Wampum for a hangout, whilst they rob and steal and kill all over the country. Then that's what your friend Jim meant, I said slowly. And me, like a dumb damn fool, I thought him and Joab and the rest of you all was just outlaws, like that fake deputy said. Orman took Uncle Joab's badge and called himself the sheriff to fool strangers, she whimpered. What honest people is left in Wampum are afeard to oppose him. Him and his gunmen are ruling this whole part of the country. Uncle Joab sent a man east to get us some help in the settlements on Buffalo River, but none ever come. And from what I overheard tonight, I believe Wolf Ashley followed him and killed him over east of the Humboldt somewheres. What are we going to do? she sobbed. Ellen, I said, you get on Doc Richards' horse and ride for Grizzly Mountain. When you get there, tell the Doc to head for Wampum, because there'll be plenty of work for him time he gets there. But what about you? she cried. I can't go off and leave you to be hanged. Don't worry about me, gal, I said. I'm Breckenridge Elkins of the Humboldt Mountains, and I'm preparing for to shake my mane. Hustle! Something about me evidently convinced her, because she glided away, whimpering into the shadows, and presently I heard the clack of horses' hoofs dwindling in the distance. I then riz, and I laid hold of the window bars, and I tore them out by the roots. Then I sunk my fingers into the sill log and tore it out, and three or four more, and the wall gave way entirely, and the roof fell down on me. But I shook aside the fragments and heaved up out of the wreckage like a bear out of a deadfall. About this time the jailer come running up, and when he seen what I had did, he was so surprised, he forgot to shoot me with his pistol. So I'd taken it away from him, and knocked down the door of his shack with him, and left him, laying in its ruins. I then strode up the street toward the Golden Eagle, and here come a feller galloping down the street. Who should it be but that dern fake deputy, Jackson? He couldn't holler with his bandaged jaw, but when he seen me, he jerked loose his lariat and piled it around my neck and sought spurs to his cayuse, aiming for to drag me to death. But I seen he had his rope tied fast to his horn, Texas style, so I laid hold on it with both hands and braced my legs. And when the horse got to the end of the rope, the girths busted, and the horse went out from under the saddle and Jackson come down on his head in the street and laid still. I throwed the rope off my neck and went on to the Golden Eagle with the jailer's forty-five in my scabbard. I looked in and seen the same crowd there, and Orman reared back at the bar with his belly stuck out, roaring and bragging. I stepped in and hollered, Look this way, Bill Orman, and pull iron, you 
dirty thief, he wheeled, paled, and went for his gun, and I slammed six bullets into him before he could hit the floor. I then throwed the empty gun at the day's crowd and gave one deafening roar and tore into em like a mountain cyclone. They begun to holler and surge onto me, and I throwed em and knocked em right and left like tin-pins. Some was knocked over the bar and some under the tables, and some I knocked down stacks of beer kegs with. I ripped the roulette wheel loose and mowed down a whole row of em with it, and I throwed a billiard table through the mirror behind the bar just for good measure. Three or four fellers got pinned under it and yelled bloody murder. But I didn't have no time to unpin em, for I was busy elsewhere. Four of them hellions came at me in a flying wedge, and the only thing to do was give em a dose of their own medicine. So I put my head down and butted the first one in the belly. He gave a grunt you could hear across the mountains, and I grabbed the other three and squoze em together. I then flung em against the bar and headed into the rest of the mess of em. I felt so good I was yelling some. Come on, I yelled. I'm Breckenridge Elkins, and you got my dander roused. And I waded in and poured it to em. Meanwhile, they was hacking at me with buoys and hitting me with chairs and brass knuckles and trying to shoot me, but all they done with their guns was shoot each other, cause they was so many they got in each other's way, and the other things just made me madder. I laid hands on as many as I could hug at once, and the thud of their heads banging together was music to me. I also done good work heaving em head on against the walls, and I further slammed several of em hardly against the floor and busted all the tables with their carcasses. In the melee, the whole bar collapsed, and the shells behind the bar fell down when I slang a feller into em, and the bottles rained all over the floor. One of the lamps also fell off the ceiling, which was beginning to crack and cave in, and everybody begun to yell, Fire! and run out through the doors and jump out the windows. In a second, I was alone in the blazing building except for them which was past running. I'd started for an exit myself when I seen a buckskin pouch on the floor, along with a lot of other belongings which had fell out of men's pockets the way they will when men get swung by the feet and smashed against the wall. I picked it up and jerked the tie-string, and a trickle of gold dust spilled into my hand. I begun to look on the floor for Ashley, but he wasn't there. But he was watching me from outside, because I looked and seen him just as he let Bam at me with a forty-five from the back room of the place, which wasn't yet on fire much. I plunged after him, ignoring his next slug, which took me in the shoulder. Then I grabbed him and taken the gun away from him. He pulled a buoy and tried to stab me in the growin', but only sliced my thigh. So I throwed him the full length of the room, and he hit the wall so hard his head went through the boards. Meantime, the main part of the saloon was burning, so I couldn't go out that way. I started to go out the back door of the room I was in, but got a glimpse of some fellers which was crouching just outside the door, waiting to shoot me as I come out. So I knocked out a section of the wall on another side of the room, and about that time the roof fell in so loud them fellers didn't hear me coming. So I fell on em from the rear and beat their heads together till the blood ran out their ears and stomped em and took their shotguns away from em. One big fellow with a scarred face tackled me around the knees as I bent over to get the second gun, and a little man hopped on my shoulders from behind at the same time and began clawing like a catamount. That made me pretty mad again, but I still kept enough presence of mind not to lose my temper. 
I just grabbed the little man off and hit Scarface over the head with him, and after that none of the rest bothered me within handhold distance. Then I was aware that people was shooting at me in the light of the burning saloon, and I seen that a bunch was ganged up on the other side of the street, so I begun to loose my shotguns into the thick of them, and they broke and run, yelling blue murder, and as they went out one side of the town, another gang rushed in from the other, yelling and shooting, and I snapped an empty shell at em before one yelled, Don't shoot, Elkins! We're friends! And I seen it was Jim and Doc Richards, and a lot of other fellers I hadn't never seen before then. They went tearing around, looking to see if any of Orman's men was hiding in the village, but none was. They looked like all they wanted to do was get clean out of the country, so most of the Grizzly Mountain men took in after em, whooping and shouting. Jim looked at the wreckage of the jail and the remnants of the Gold Eagle, and he shook his head like he couldn't believe it. We was on our way to make a last effort to take the town back from the gang, he said. Ellen met us as we come down and told us you was a friend and an honest man. We hope to get here in time to save you from getting hanged. Again he shook his head with a kind of bewildered look. Then he said, Oh, say, I'd about forgot. On our way here we run on to a man on the road who said he was looking for you. Not knowing who he was, we roped him and brung him along with us. Bring the prisoner, boys. They brung him, tied to a saddle, and it was Jack Gordon, Joel's youngest brother and the fastest gunslinger on Bear Creek. What you doing here, I demanded bitterly. Has the feud begun already, and has Joel set you on my trail? Well, I got what I started after, and I'm heading back for Bear Creek. I can't get there by daylight, but maybe I'll get there in time to keep everybody from killing everybody else. Here's Uncle Jeffords' cussed gold. And I waved the pouch in front of him. But that can't be it, he said. I've been trailing you all the way from Bear Creek, trying to catch you and tell you the gold had been found. Uncle Jeffords and Joel and Erath got together and everything was explained and is all right. Where'd you get that gold? I don't know if Ashley's pals got it together so he could give it to Ormond and not get killed for holding out on his boss, or what, I said. But I know that the owner ain't got no more use for it now and probably stole it in the first place. I'm giving this gold to Ellen, I said. She sure deserves a reward, and giving it to her makes me feel like maybe I accomplished something on this wild goose chase after all. Jim looked around at the ruins of the outlaw hangout and murmured something I didn't catch. I said to Jack, You said Uncle Jeffers' gold was found? Where was it, anyway? Well, said Jack, Little General William Harrison Grimes, Uncle Jeffers' youngest boy, he seen his pap put the gold under the rock, and he got it out to play with. He was using the nuggets for slugs in his nigger shooter, Jack said, and it's plumb cute the way he pops a rattlesnake with him. Uh, what did you say? Nothing, I said between my teeth. Nothing that'd be fit to repeat, anyway. End of A Gent from Bear Creek The Road to Bear Creek by Robert Howard This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, Please visit LibriVox.org. The Road to Bear Creek by Robert Howard When Pat gets rheumatism, he gets remorseful, 
I remember one time particular. He says to me, him laying on his bar skin with a jug of corn liquor at his elbow, he says, Brackenridge, the sins of my youth is right and my conscience heavy. When I was a young man, I was free and careless in my habits, as numerous tombstones on the boundless prairies testifies. I sometimes wonders if I weren't a trifle hasty in shooting some of the men which disagreed with my principles. Maybe I should have controlled my temper and just chawed their ears off. Take Uncle Esau Grimes, for instance. And then Papova sighed like a bull and took a drink and said, I ain't seen Uncle Esau for years. Me and him parted with harsh words and gun smoke. I've often wondered if he still holds a grudge against me for planting that charge of buckshot in his hind leg. What about Uncle Esau? I said. Pap produced a letter and said, He was brung to my mind by this here letter which Jib Braxton fotched me from war paint. It's from my sister Elizabeth, back in Devilville, Arizona, where Uncle Esau lives. She says Uncle Esau's on his way to California and is due to pass through war paint about August the 10th. That's tomorrow. She don't know whether he intends turning off to see me or not, but suggests that I meet with him at war paint and make peace with him. Well... I demanded, because from the way Pap combed his beard with his fingers and eyed me, I knowed he was aiming to call on me to do something for him, which same he was. Well, said Pap, taking a long swig out of the jug, I want you to meet the stage tomorrow morning at war paint and invite Uncle Esau to come up here and visit us. Now don't take no for an answer. Uncle Esau is as cranky as hell and a peculiar old duck, but I think he'll like a fine upstanding young man as big as you be, especially if you keep your mouth shut as much as possible and don't expose your ignorance. But I ain't never seen Uncle Esau, I protested. How am I going to know him? He ain't a big man, said Pat. Last time I seen him, he had a right smart growth of red whiskers. You bring him home regardless. Don't pay no attention to his belly aching. He's a peculiar old cuss, like I said, and awful suspicious, cause he's got lots of enemies. He burnt plenty of powder in his younger days, all the way from Texas to California. He was mixed up in more feuds and range wars than any man I ever knowed. He's supposed to have considerable money hid away somewheres, but that ain't got nothing to do with us. I wouldn't take his blasted money as a gift. All I want is to talk to him and get his forgiveness for filling his hide with buckshot in a moment of youthful passion. If he don't forgive me, said Pap, taking another pull at the jug, I'll bend my forty-five over his stubborn old skull. Now get going. So I saddled Captain Kidd and hid out across the mountains, and the next morning found me eating breakfast just outside of war paint. I didn't go right into the town because I was very bashful in them days, being quite young and scared of sheriffs and things. But I'd stopped with old Bill Polk, an old hunter and trapper which was camped temporary at the edge of town. 
Warpaint was a new town which had sprung up out of nothing on account of a small gold rush right recent, and old Bill was very bitter. A hell of a come-off this is, he snorted, cluttering up the scenery and scaring the animals off with their fool houses and claims. Last year I shot a deer right where their main saloon is now, he said, glaring at me like it was my fault. I said nothing but chawed my venison which we was cooking over his fire, and he said, No good'll come of it, you mark my words. These mountains won't be fit to live in. These camps draw scums like a dead horse draws buzzards. Already the outlaws is riding in from Arizona and Utah, besides the native ones. Grizzly Hawkins and his thieves is hiding up in the hills, and no telling how many more'll come in. I'm glad they catched Badger Chisholm and his gang after they robbed that bank at Gunstock. That's one gang which won't bedevil us, because they're in jail. If somebody just killed Grizzly Hawkins now... About that time I seen the stagecoach fogging it down the road from the east in a cloud of dust. So I saddled Captain Kidd and left old Bill gorging deer meat and prophesying disaster and damnation and I rode into war paint just as the stage pulled up at the stand, which was also the post office and a saloon. They was three passengers, and none of them was tenderfeet. Two was big, hard-looking fellas, and t'other'n was a wiry, oldish kind of bird with reddish whiskers, so I knowed right off it was Uncle Esau Grimes. They was going into the saloon as I dismounted the big men first, and the older feller follering them. I touched him on the shoulder, and he whirled most amazing quick with a gun in his hand, and he looked at me very suspicious and said, What you want? I'm Breckenridge Elkins, I said. I want you to come with me. I recognized you as soon as I seen you. I then got an awful surprise, but not as awful as it would have been if Pap hadn't warned me that Uncle Esau was peculiar. He hollered, Bill, Jim, help! and swung his six-shooter against my head with all his might. Them two fellows whirled and their hands streaked for their guns, so I knocked Uncle Esau flat to keep him from getting hit by a stray slug, and shot one of them through the shoulder before he could unlimber his artillery. The other engrazed my neck with a bullet, so I perforated him in the arm and again in the hind leg, and he fell down across the other. I was careful not to shoot em in no vital parts, cause I seen they was friends of Uncle Esau. But when guns is being drawn, it ain't no time to argue or explain. Men was hollering and running out of saloons, and I stooped and started to lift Uncle Esau, who was kind of groggy cause he'd hit his head against a hitching post. He was crawling around on his all fours, cussing something terrible and trying to find his gun, which he dropped. When I laid hold on him, he commenced biting and kicking and hollering, and I said, Don't act like that, Uncle Esau. Here comes a lot of fellers, and the sheriff might be here any minute and rest me for shooting them idiots. we got to get going. Pap is waiting for you up on Bear Creek. But he just fit that much harder and hollered that much louder. So I scooped him up bodily and jumped on to Captain Kidd and throwed Uncle Esau face down across the saddle-bow and headed for the hills. A lot of men yelled at me to stop, and some of them started shooting at me, but I give no heed. 
I gave Captain Kidd the rein, and we went tearing down the road and around the first bend, and I didn't even take time to change Uncle Esau's position, because I didn't want to get arrested. I'd heard tell them folks in war paint would even put a fellow in jail for shooting a man within the city limits. Just before we reached the place where I aimed to turn off up into the hills, I seen a man on the road ahead of me, and he must have heard the shooting and Uncle Esau yelling, because he whirled his horse and blocked the road. He was a wiry old cuss with gray whiskers. Where are you going with that man? he yelled as I approached at a thundering gate. None of your business, I retorted. Get out of my way. Help, help, hollered Uncle Esau. I'm being kidnapped and murdered. Drop that man, you turned outlaw, roared the stranger, suiting his actions to his words. Him and me drawed simultaneous, but my shot was a split second quicker than his'n. His slug fanned my ear, but his hat flew off and he pitched out of his saddle like he'd been hit with a hammer. I seen a streak of red along his temple as I thundered past him. Let that learn you not to interfere in family affairs, I roared and turned up the trail that switched off the road and up into the mountains. Don't never yell like that, I said irritably to Uncle Esau. You like to got me shot. That fella thought I was a criminal. I didn't catch what he said, but I looked back and down over the slopes and shoulders and seen men boiling out of town full tilt, and the sun glinted on six-shooters and rifles, so I urged Captain Kidd, and we covered the next several miles at a fast clip. They ain't a horse in southern Nevada which can equal Captain Kidd for endurance, speed, and strength. Uncle Esau kept trying to talk, but he was bouncing up and down, so all I could understand was his cuss words, which was free and fervent. At last he gasped, For God's sakes, let me get off this cussed saddle horn. It's rubbing a hole in my belly. So I pulled up and seen no sign of pursuers, so I said, All right. You can ride in the saddle, and I'll sit on behind. I was going to hire you a horse at the livery stable, but we had to leave so quick there weren't no time. Where are you taking me? he demanded. To Bear Creek, I said. Where you think? I don't want to go to Bear Creek, he said fiercely. I ain't going to Bear Creek. Yes, you are, too, I said. Paps said not to take no for an answer. I'm going to slide over behind the saddle, and you can sit in it. So I pulled my feet out of the stirrups and moved over the cantle, and he slid into the seat, and the first thing I knowed, he had a knife out of his boot and was trying to carve my gizzard. Now I like to humor my relatives, but they is a limit to everything. I'd taken the knife away from him, but in the struggle, me being handicapped by not wanting to hurt him, I lost hold of the reins, and Captain Kidd bolted and run for several miles through the pines and brush what with me trying to grab the reins and keep Uncle Esau from killing me at the same time, neither one of us in the stirrups, finally we both fell off. And if I hadn't managed to catch hold of the bridle as I went, we'd had a long walk ahead of us. I got Captain Kidd stopped after being drugged for several yards, and then I went back to where Uncle Esau was laying on the ground, trying to get his wind back, because I'd kind of fell on him. Is that any way to act, trying to stick a knife in a man which is doing his best to make you comfortable? I said reproachfully. All he done was gasp. So I said, well, Pap told me you was a cranky old duck, so I reckon the thing to do is just to not notice your, uh, 
eccentricities. I looked around to get my bearings because Captain Kidd had got a way off the trail that runs from Warpaint to Bear Creek. We was west of the trail in very wild country, but I seen a cabin off through the trees and I said, we'll go over there and see if I can hire or buy a horse for you to ride. That'll be more convenient for us both. I started heisting him back into the saddle and he said, kind of dizzily, this here's a free country. I don't have to go to Bear Creek if and I don't want to. Well, I said severely, you ought to want to, after all the trouble I've went to, coming and inviting you. Set still now. I'm setting on behind, but I'm holding the reins. I'll have your life for this, he promised bloodthirstily, but I ignored it because Pap had said Uncle Esau was peculiar. Pretty soon we hove up to the cabin I'd glimpsed through the trees. Nobody was in sight, but I seen a horse tied to a tree in front of the cabin. I rode up to the door and knocked, but nobody answered. But I seen smoke coming out of the chimney, so I decided I'd go in. I dismounted and lifted Uncle Esau off because I seen from the gleam in his eye that he was intending to run off on Captain Kidd if I give him half a chance. I got a firm grip on his collar because I was determined that he was going to visit us up on Bear Creek if I had to tote him on my shoulder all the way, and I went into the cabin with him. There wasn't nobody in there, though a pot of beans was simmering over some coals in the fireplace, and I seen some rifles in racks on the wall and a belt with two pistols hanging on a nail. Then I heard somebody walking behind the cabin, and the back door opened and there stood a big black whiskered man with a bucket of water in his hand and an astonished glare on his face. He didn't have no guns on. Who the hell are you? he demanded. But Uncle Esau gave a kind of gurgle and said, Grizzly Hawkins. The big man jumped and glared at Uncle Esau, and then his black whiskers bristled in a ferocious grin, and he said, Oh, it's you, is it? Who'd a thunk I'd ever meet you here? Grizzly Hawkins, eh? I said, realizing that I'd stumbled onto the hideout of the worst outlaw in them mountains. So you all know each other? I'll say we do, rumbled Hawkins, looking at Uncle Esau like a wolf looks at a fat yearling. I'd heard you was from Arizona, I said, being naturally tactful. Looks to me like they's enough cow thieves in these hills already without outsiders butting in. But your morals ain't none of my business. I want to buy or hire or borrow a horse for this here gent to ride. Oh, no, you ain't, said Grizzly. You think I'm going to let a fortune slip through my fingers like that? Tell you what I'll do, though. I'll split with you. My gang had business over toward Tomahawk this morning, but they're due back soon. Me and you'll work him over before they gets back, and we'll nab all the loot ourselves. What you mean? I asked. My uncle and me is on our way to Bear Creek. I don't act innocent with me, he snorted disgustedly. Uncle, you think I'm a plumb fool? Can't I see he's your prisoner the way you got him by the neck? Think I don't know what you're up to? Be reasonable. Two can work this job better than one. I know lots of ways to make a man talk. I bet you if we kind of massage his hinder 
parts with a red-hot brand and iron, you'll tell us quick enough where the money's hid. Uncle Esau turned pale under his whiskers, and I said indignantly, Why, you low-life polecat, you got the crust to pretend to think I'm kidnapping my own uncle for his dough? I got a good mind to shoot you. So you're greedy, huh? He snarled, showing his teeth. Want all the loot to yourself, huh? I'll show you. Quick as a cat, he swung that water bucket over his head and let it go at me. I ducked, and it hit Uncle Esau in the head and stretched him out, all drenched with water. And Hawkins gave a roar and dived for a forty-five ninety on the wall. He wheeled with it, and I shot it out of his hands. He then come for me, wild-eyed, with a buoy out of his boot, and my next cartridge snapped, and he was on top of me before I could cock my gun again. I dropped my gun and grappled with him, and we fit all over the cabin, and every now and then we'd trample on Uncle Esau, which was trying to crawl toward the door, and the way he would holler was pitiful to hear. Hawkins lost his knife in the melee, but he was as big as me and a bearcat at rough and tumble. We'd stand up and wail away with both fists, and then clinch and roll around the floor, biting and gouging and slugging, and once we rolled clean over Uncle Esau and kind of flattened him out like a pancake. Finally Hawkins got hold of the table, which he lifted like it was a board, and splintered over my head. And this made me mad, so I grabbed the pot off the fire and hit him in the head with it, and about a gallon of red-hot beans went down his back and he fell into a corner so hard he jolted the shelves loose from the logs, and all the guns fell off the walls. He come up with a gun in his hand, but his eyes was so full of blood and hot beans that he missed me the first shot, and before he could shoot again, I hit him on the chin so hard it fractured his jawbone and sprained both his ankles and stretched him out cold. Then I looked around for Uncle Esau, and he was gone, and the front door was open. I rushed out of the cabin, and there he was, just climbing aboard Captain Kidd. I hollered for him to wait, but he kicked Captain Kidd in the ribs and went tearing through the trees, only he didn't head north back toward war paint. He was pinted southeast in the general direction of Hideout Mountain. I jumped on Hawkins' horse, which was tied to a tree nearby, and lit out after him, though I didn't have much hope of catching him. Grizzly's cayuse was a good horse, but he couldn't hold a candle to Captain Kidd. I wouldn't have caught him neither, if it hadn't been for Captain Kidd's distaste of being rode by anybody but me. Uncle Esau was a crack horseman to stay on as long as he did. But finally Captain Kidd got tired of running, and about the time he crossed the trail we'd been following when he first bolted, he bogged his head and started busting himself in two, with his snoot rubbing the grass and his heels scraping the clouds off of the sky. I could see mountain peaks between Uncle Esau and the saddle, and when Captain Kidd started sunfishing, it looked like the wrath of Judgment Day. But somehow Uncle Esau managed to stay with him till Captain Kidd plumb left the earth like he aimed to aviate from then on, and Uncle Esau left the saddle with a shriek of despair and sailed head on, into a blackjack thicket. Captain Kidd gave a snort of contempt and trotted off to a patch of grass and started grazing, and I dismounted and went and untangled Uncle Esau from amongst the branches. 
His clothes was tore and he was scratched, so he looked like he'd been fighting with a drove of wildcats. And he left a right smart batch of his whiskers among the brush. But he was full of pison and hostility. I understand this here treatment, he said bitterly, like he blamed me for Captain Kidd pitching him into the thicket. But you'll never get a penny. Nobody but me knows where the dough is, and you can pull my toenails out by the roots before I tells you. I know you got money hid away, I said, deeply offended, but I don't want it. He snorted skeptically and said sarcastic, Then what are you dragging me over these cussed hills for? Cause Pap wants to see you, I said, but they ain't no use in asking me a lot of fool questions. Pap said for me to keep my mouth shut. I looked around for Grizzly's horse and seen he'd wandered off. He sure hadn't been trained proper. Now I gotta go look for him, I said disgustedly. Will you stay here till I get back? Sure, he said. Sure. Go on and look for the horse. I'll wait here. But I give him a searching look and shook my head. I don't want to seem like I mistrust you, I said. But I see a gleam in your eye which makes me believe you intends to run off the minute my back's turned. I hate to do this, but I got to bring you safe to Bear Creek, so I'll just kind of hog-tie you with my lariat till I get back. Well, he put up an awful holler, but I was firm, and when I rode off on Captain Kidd I was satisfied that he couldn't untie them knots by himself. I left him laying in the grass beside the trail, and his language was awful to listen to. That derned horse had wandered further than I thought. He'd moved north along the trail for a short way, then turned off and headed in a westerly direction, and after a while I heard the sound of horses galloping somewhere behind me, and I got nervous, thinking that if Hawkins' gang had got back to their hideout and he had told them about us and sent them after us, to capture poor Uncle Esau and torture him to make him tell where his savings was hid. I wished I'd had sense enough to shove Uncle Esau back in the thicket so he wouldn't be seen by anybody riding along the trail, and I'd just decided to let the horse go and turn back when I seen him grazing among the trees ahead of me. I headed back for the trail, leaving him, aiming to hit it a short distance north of where I'd left Uncle Esau and before I got in sight of it I heard horses and saddles creaking ahead of me. I pulled up on the crest of a slope and looked down onto the trail, and there I seen a gang of men riding north, and they had Uncle Esau amongst them. Two of the men was riding double, and they had him on a horse in the middle of them. They'd took the ropes off him, but he didn't look happy. Instantly I realized my premonitions was correct. The Hawkins gang had followed us, and now poor Uncle Esau was in their clutches. I let go of Hawkins' horse and reached for my gun, but I didn't dare fire for fear of hitting Uncle Esau. They was clustered so close about him. I reached up and tore a limb off an oak tree as big as my arm, and I charged down the slope, yelling, I'll save you, Uncle Esau! I come so sudden and unexpected them fellas didn't have time to do nothing but holler before I hit em. Captain Kidd plowed through their horses like an avalanche through saplings, and he was going so hard I couldn't check him in time to keep him from knocking Uncle Esau's horse sprawling. Uncle Esau hit the turf with a shriek. 
All around me men was yelling and surging and pulling guns, and I riz in my stirrups and laid about me right and left, and pieces of bark and oak leaves and blood flew in showers, and in a second the ground was littered with writhing figures, and the groaning and cussing was awful to hear. Knives was flashing and pistols was banging, but them outlaws' eyes was too full of bark and stars and blood for them to aim. And right in the middle of the brawl, when the guns was roaring and men was yelling and horses neighing, and my oak limb going crack, crack on human skulls, down from the north swooped another gang, howling like hyenas. There he is, one of them yelled. I see him crawling around under them horses. After him, boys, we got as much right to his dough as anybody. The next minute they dashed in amongst us and embraced the members of the other gang and started hammering them over the heads with their pistols. And in a second was the damnedest three-cornered war you ever seen. Men fighting on the ground and on the horses, all mixed and tangled up, two gangs trying to exterminate each other, and me wailing hell out of both of them. Now, I have been mixed up in ruckuses like this before, despite the fact that I'm a peaceful and easy-going feller, which never done harm to man or beast unless provoked beyond reason. I always figure the best thing to do in a brawl is to hold your temper, and I done just that. When this one feller fired a pistol plumb in my face and singed my eyebrows, I didn't get mad. When this other and come from somewhere to start biting my leg, I only picked him up by the scruff of the neck and knocked a horse over with him. But I must have lost control a little, I guess, when two fellers at once started bashing at my head with rifle butts. I swung at them so hard, I turned Captain Kidd plumb around, and my club broke, and I had to grab a bigger and tougher one. Then... I really laid into him. Meanwhile, Uncle Esau was on the ground under us, yelling bloody murder and being stepped on by the horses. But finally I cleared a space with a devastating sweep of my club and leaned down and scooped him up with one hand and hung him over my saddle horn and started battering my way clear. But a big fellow, which was one of the second gang, came charging through the melee yelling like an engine with blood running down his face from a cut in his scalp. He snapped an empty cartridge at me, then leaned out from his saddle and grabbed Uncle Esau by the foot. Let go, he howled. He's my meat. Release Uncle Esau before I does you an injury, I roared, trying to jerk Uncle Esau loose. But the outlaw hung on, and Uncle Esau squalled like a catamount in a wolf trap so I lifted what was left of my club and splintered it over the outlaw's head, and he gave up the ghost with a gurgle. I then wheeled Captain Kidd and rode off like the wind. Them fellows was too busy fighting each other to notice my flight. Somebody did let Bam at me with a Winchester, but all it done was nick Uncle Esau's ear. The sounds of carnage faded out behind us as I headed south along the trail. Uncle Esau was belly-aching about something. I'd never seen such a cuss for finding fault, but I felt there was no time to be lost, so I didn't slow up for some miles. Then I pulled Captain Kidd down and said, What did you say, Uncle Esau? 
I'm a broken man, he gasped. Take my secret. Let me go back to the posse. All I want now is a good, safe prison term. What posse? I asked, thinking he must be drunk, though I couldn't figure where he got any booze. The posse you took me away from, he said. Anything's better than being dragged through these hellish mountains by a homicidal maniac. Posse, I gasped wildly. But who was the second gang? Grizzly Hawkins outlaws, he said, and added bitterly. Even they would be preferable to what I've been going through. I give up. I know when I'm licked. The does hid in a holler oak three miles south of Gunstock. I didn't pay no attention to his remarks because my head was in a whirl. A posse? Of course. The sheriff and his men had followed us from war paint along the Bear Creek Trail and finding Uncle Esau tied up had thought he'd been kidnapped by an outlaw instead of merely being invited to visit his relatives. Probably he was too cussed ornery to tell him any different. I hadn't rescued him from no bandits. I took him away from a posse which thought they was rescuing him. Meanwhile, Uncle Esau was clamoring. Well, why don't you let me go? I told you where the dough is. What else you want? You got to go on to Bear Creek with me, I begun. And Uncle Esau give a shriek and went into a kind of convulsion. And the first thing I knowed, he twisted around and jerked my gun out of its scabbard and let bam right in my face so close it singed my hair. I grabbed his wrist, and Captain Kidd bolted like he always does when he gets the chance. There's a limit to everything, I roared. A hell of a relative you be, you old maniac. We was tearing over slopes and ridges at breakneck speed and fighting all over Captain Kidd's back. Me to get the gun away from him, and him to commit murder. If you weren't kin to me, Uncle Esau, I'd plumb lose my temper. What you keep calling me that fool name for, he yelled, frothing at the mouth. What you want to add insult to injury? Captain Kidd swerved sudden, and Uncle Esau tumbled over his neck. I had him by the shirt and tried to hold him on, but the shirt tore. He hit the ground on his head, and Captain Kidd run right over him. I pulled up as quick as I could, and hove a sigh of relief to see how close to home I was. We're nearly there, Uncle Esau, I said, but he made no comment. He was out cold. A short time later I rode up to the cabin with my eccentric relative slung over my saddle-bow and took him and stalked into where Pap was laying on his bar-skin and slung my burden down on the floor in disgust. Well, here he is, I said. Pap stared and said, "'Who's this?' "'When you wipe the blood off,' I said, "'you'll find it's your Uncle Esau Grimes. "'And,' I added bitterly, "'the next time you want to invite him to visit us, "'you can do it yourself. "'A more ungrateful cuss I never seen. "'Peculiar ain't no name for him. "'He's as crazy as a loco jackass.' "'But that ain't Uncle Esau,' said Pap. "'What do you mean?' I said irritably. I know most his clothes is tore off, and his face is kind of scratched and skinned and stomped out of shape, but you can see his whiskers is red in spite of the blood. Red whiskers turn gray in time, 
said a voice, and I wheeled and pulled my gun as a man loomed in the door. It was a gray-whiskered old fellow I'd traded shots with on the edge of war paint. He didn't go for his gun, but stood twisting his mustache and glaring at me like I was a curiosity or something. "'Uncle Esau!' said Pap. "'What?' I hollered. "'Are you Uncle Esau?' "'Certainly I am,' he snapped. "'But you weren't on the stagecoach,' I begun. "'Stagecoach!' he snorted, taking Pap's jug and beginning to pour liquor down the man on the floor. "'Them things is for women and children. I travel horseback. I spent last night in war paint and aimed to ride on up to Bear Creek this morning. In fact, Bill,' he addressed Pap, "'I was on the way here when this young maniac creased me.' He indicated a bandage on his head. "'You mean Breckenridge shot you?' ejaculated Pap. "'It seems to run in the family,' grunted Uncle Esau. "'But who's this?' I hollered wildly, pointing at the man I'd thought was Uncle Esau, and who was just coming to. "'I'm Badger Chisholm,' he said, grabbing the jug with both hands. "'I demands to be protected from this lunatic and turned over to the sheriff.' Him and Bill Reynolds and Jim Hopkins robbed a bank over at Gunstock three weeks ago, said Uncle Esau. The real one, I mean. A posse captured them, but they'd hid the loot somewhere and wouldn't say where. They escaped several days ago, and not only the sheriff was looking for them, but all the outlaw gangs, too, to find out where they'd hid their plunder. It was an awful big haul. They must have figured that escaping out of the country by stagecoach would be the last thing folks would expect them to do, and they weren't known in this part of the country. But I recognized Bill Reynolds when I went back to war paint to have my head dressed after you shot me, Breckenridge. The doctor was patching him and Hopkins up, too. The sheriff and a posse lit out after you, and I followed them when I got my head fixed. Of course, I didn't know who you was. I come up while the posse was fighting with Hawkins' gang, and with my help we corralled the whole bunch. Then I took up your trail again. Pretty good day's work wiping out two of the worst gangs in the West. One of Hawkins' men said Grizzly was laid up in his cabin, and the posse was going to drop by for him. What you going to do about me? clamored Chisholm. Well, said Pap, we'll bandage your wounds and I'll let Breckenridge here take you back to war paint. Hey, what's the matter with him? Badger Chisholm had fainted. End of the Road to Bear Creek